0: Hello and welcome to the first DCM podcast of 2018. My name's Tom Linnae and for this first podcast of 2018 I'm joined by Dara Nasser, Managing Director of Twitter. It's a small tech startup, you might have heard of it. Uh, Dara has been at Twitter for over five years now, previously as sales director, and before that he's been at companies such as Google and Eurosport. Uh, you may also have heard him on the excellent Eat Sleep Work Repeat podcast, and I'm super pleased he's able to join me on the DCM podcast today. Hello, Dara. Hi, Tom. How are you? Very well indeed, very well indeed. Good. Now, I gave a very quick overview of your career to date just then. Hopefully, there is a bit more detail to that. Can you give us a little bit of background on what you've been up to and how you became Managing Director of Twitter UK?
1: Sure. I mean, I think your overview will be more interesting than mine was about to be. But yes, I kind of, as most people, happened into media. Uh, A couple of my friends from school, um, one was agency. Well, two were agency, and there's one uh, that worked in radio, and they said, I'd love it. And I... um, I, in, I interviewed for a few places and started at a place called FlexTech Television, which became IDS, which became part of Virgin Media, and had a few different offers from companies that were uh, probably more famous or more well-known. Uh, but I chose FlexTech because it seemed like people were really happy and it was fun. So I was there for six years in doing telly, selling uh, ad sales in tele, before moving to Eurosport, as you said. I was there for a couple of years and then I went digital with Google. Whereas I was there for five and a half years, uh, firstly helping set up um, the agency team there for the first half, and then uh, I helped launch um, YouTube and display sales in the UK as a bespoke team for the latter half, and that was great, great fun. And then back end of 2012, I joined Twitter, and they say primarily I headed up the sales team, and at the beginning of last year, I became managing director, so that's the sh- potted history.
0: So you must have been at Google uh, in the UK when it really saw Fast growth and huge growth, and you must have been at Twitter when you've seen um, a big growth in your workforce as well. Is that a really exciting time
1: to be involved in a company a company like that? Yeah, it is. It's, it's it is really exciting. I think what's fascinating um, is you know I said, very what's fascinating about this whole piece is, yes, it's great when there are loads of people joining. I remember when I started at Google, there are about forty people starting a week across the UK, so not just sales, but engineering, legal, PR, everything. And that was literally the people who have been there a while would be looking around and they wouldn't recognize people. And then I think when I joined Twitter, I mean, but when I joined Google, there were like 400 people there already. When I joined Twitter, there are about 15 or 20, and now there are about 200. So huge exponential growth of uh, people, but probably more manageable, IE you recognize and know everyone, which is rather nice. And is it difficult to maintain a culture uh, when when you see growth like
0: that? Because Twitter and Google and these sort of companies, uh, you know, um, big tech companies are renowned for having exciting cultures, looking after their staff, having amazing benefits. Is it
1: difficult to maintain that when there's such fast growth? It depends what you mean by culture. You know, I think if you, I mean, my answer would be, yes, it is difficult to maintain. But you mentioned, you know, culture, benefits and culture, I think are two different things. You know, you can work somewhere that gives you, Amazing benefits, but you might not have a great deal of fun there. I mean, I'm not saying that happens at Google or wherever else, I'm saying, but I think culture for me is where you go and you know, you go happy to be yourself, ask questions, love your job, leave at the end of the day feeling that you know you've had a great day, and, and wake up the next day happy to come back in and you like your workmates, you like your clients, etc. etc. So but is it difficult to maintain the culture i think it's certainly easier when it's smaller because you know you can do things ad hoc as a company you know if there's 20 of you it's quite easy to go out and do something if there's 200 it needs far more organisation i think as well remembering everyone's name what they do keeping on top of that is more difficult so i think you have to work harder to maintain the same culture as you would but you can improve it in different other ways you know what we try to do is every week on a Friday afternoon at about half past four, we congregate as a a company in the UK. So there's 200 of us and we sit and someone hosts this thing. We have a couple of drinks and some nice food and we just reflect on the week, what's happened at work, what's happened on Twitter and it's just a bit lighthearted fun and then people go home. So that you can do whether there are five of you or 5,000 of you in a way, as long as you've got the space. But you know, so that works for us. So there's a lot of things you can do. But yeah, I think I would say 50% of my job um i focus on the culture of the office you know and how you know how to make sure that people are happy productive growing developing etc cetera, etc cetera. it's funny one of the things you said
0: there that really resonated with me and i've never really considered when you see a company go from 20 to 30 employees to 200 in a short space of time is remembering people's names mm-hmm. that must be a real challenge. How, how do you get past that?
1: Yeah, it's it's um, it's it is a challenge. I think if you remember probably your first job, when you were a nipper, you know, if the boss said hi, Tom, knew your name, you're probably wow, God, and you probably felt good about it, right? It gives you a real lift. It does give you a real lift, and it's just a little thing like that. I and love it and, when uh, Karen
0: remembers my name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I get it, and I think that it, that's important. But I think it's not just important for you as the the entry grad or the intern or whatever but it's important for the p- other side to know um uh, the other person to try to know everyone because you can develop uh, and i'm not it's not about developing a friendship or anything else but it's more about understanding what they do what they're trying to do what makes them happy so how do i remember people's name you know so being there from early days helps because there are a core of people you know And, you know, we have a bit of a cheat sheet that we have a document where everyone, someone new starts. We put their name and face on it and we kind of refresh and look at that. Um, And you just engage with them. You know, you try to speak to people more often. And I'm guilty sometimes. difficult to keep on top of that. When I first took over the role, I tried to, you know, so we have a big engineering department in our office, which is really exciting. Um, So I try to speak to some of the engineers, have meetings with them, try to understand how I could help them. Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. But it's just a way of engaging them. As I say, it's quite a... Collaborative feel at our place. People do congregate. People do chat. So it's easier with that. And and I think two hundred, I say, is easier than two thousand. You know, well two thousands impossible, isn't it? Really to remember everyone's name. Maybe.
0: Now people can find you on Twitter or at at Dara Nasser. And your bio currently says, "I have never verified anyone." Yeah. How many times do you get asked whether you can verify someone?
1: I'm glad that you've read into. What I've put on my bio, how it's meant, i.e., everyone asks me. I think, look, I think it's an interesting one where um, a lot of people we've been able to uh, people can apply for verification, um, and we started that I'd, I'd say I guess about eighteen months ago, and um, because beforehand there was a team that would go around finding people that should be verified, people in, you know, musicians, um, politicians, et cetera, et cetera, but it, it becomes impossible to try to keep on top of the global, you know, when you have well over 320 330 million users uh, to keep on top of that. So um we we started a process but I think what happened then is people get quite excited and then try to contact you to get verified. And um I get a lot of requests. Sometimes it could be a couple of days, sometimes it can be way more.
0: So the Find Dara on Twitter, but don't ask him to verify you. I mean,
1: that, uh, thank you for giving that advice. No one's going to listen to you, but thank you. <laughs> um, what are the main challenges leading
0: a company like Twitter?
1: Look, it's a really privileged job I've got. I just mentioned, you know, you, you wear different hats. And, you know, my whole background had been sales, commercial, revenue stuff. So, you know, when I first got the role, you suddenly have to, although I was involved in other bits and bobs, you suddenly have to have a view on everything. And almost become a, you feel like you you have to become an expert and everything. So that was an initial challenge because you're like, wow. But, you know, what you suddenly see is that there are, you know, we have an amazing comms team. We have an amazing legal team. We have an amazing policy team. We have an amazing marketing team, HR team. They're doing amazing, you know, I say, not to overuse the word amazing, but, you know, phenomenal work. So it's, you know, having a view on stuff. I don't think it's a challenge. It's a learning, but I really love the learning. And I think over and above that, is you know, you want to represent everyone. You want to, you know, we're a, an American company, a global company based in San Francisco, HQ'd in San Francisco, and I kind of try to represent as many of those people in the UK as I can to HQ. So, you know, I try to do that, and it, it sometimes it's so rewarding, and sometimes it's quite hard, you know. it's um, But it's, uh, as I say, it's a really privileged position, so I don't see it as any more challenging as any other, uh, every role has challenges. Um, I think a lot
0: of people would assume that running a company like Twitter or being managing director of Twitter UK would be an all-consuming job that takes 70, 80 hours a week. Is it like that? Do you find, uh, is, do you, find you have difficulty maintaining a work-life balance?
1: No, I don't at all. Uh, I think the company are um, very supportive. of. I mean, I have um, a wife, two children, two girls, uh, two daughters and a, and a dog. Um, and I try to see them, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person who'll leave five in the morning get back 11 at night. I'm not, you know, on email all weekend, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I would say that sometimes some people could criticize me for being online too much. Some people could, you know, you could do that, but I find that if I just have pockets of time where I dip in and out, try to do certain things on email, um, that helps me saves me from anxiety of turning back at work up at work with hundreds, you know, maybe thousands of, you know, unread emails. Um, that said, that's not for everyone, and nor should it be. But the company are very supportive, very flexible with that. But I do stuff like I turn off notifications on my email, so I don't get emails flash. I, I go into my email and check as and when I want and when it suits me. Is it all consuming? I suppose it's a platform that I w- uh, Twitter was a platform an app I was using many years before I joined so I'm on the platform quite a lot if something happens big you know again sometimes that can be distracting but it's it's not it's as I say it's I would rather work for a company like that that has the relevance that has the passion behind it and the people are pardon me our audience our users are so passionate pardon me and we love them for that but again we have amazing teams that Handle stuff. So if something happens in the policy world, we have policy people that handle it. If something happens in press, our comms team are just brilliant. You know, so it's not all on me.
0: Yeah, and you, or, you empower know, them to do those roles. Well,
1: I mean, that that that's their. It's like you know, that's um, their job. They're very passionate, skilled, phenomenally talented, um, and they're doing that. So we all work. We try. I try to work as as I say, collaboratively as possible with them. Um, And, you know, I've got a boss that has empowered me from day one, and I've had several bosses that have. And um, um, it's learning from people like him.
0: And looking ahead for the rest of 2018, what are the main aims for for Twitter this year?
1: We had a really strong 2017. uh, And I think that we're just trying to build and develop on that. Um, I think, you know, we're trying to make uh, our product easier to use. For, for people more as relevant as possible. We want to be you know um, transparent and be impartial. Um, we want to work even close. We've had some great results with advertisers and we want to build on that. Our video proposition is absolutely flying in terms of you know we find that not only do uh, as you see here clients love audiovisual, Uh, as a format but our users our audience love it too you know it's six times more likely to be shared a video than a photo with us you know so um, just building on all those things you know safety is a number one priority Uh, we're continuing to work on that um, on the product side and there's been some phenomenal changes on the product side with that so just continuing uh, continuing collaborating with um our, our our users, our partners, for example, we have a team that deals uh, that looks after broadcasters and publishers, helping them get their content onto Twitter to make money from that content on Twitter um, and to spread that content on Twitter so we're working on those things we have live video now very excitingly our live video proposition was actually built in London or largely built in London and that's bit be- that and that was two thousand and sixteen and that was just Phenomenally, um, like exciting to be there at the time. Was uh,
0: that because the person whose idea it was for that was based in London, or was it a case of just um, the London team can do this?
1: No, it, it, it was the the reason for it was you know we are a real time network, so live is synonymous with real time. Video was our growing product, so we wanted to get into live, and I think that we are lucky. We're one of the few offices. Um, across the world, one of the few Twitter offices across the world that is So we have engineering and sales and legal and marketing. Often it's, you know, with many offices, it could just be sales or could just be engineering. And we've got some phenomenal engineers um, uh, in our London office in Soho. And we put our hands up uh, and we we, uh, we wanted to do it. And the our you know, HQ were very supportive of that and we worked really closely with them. We got it off the ground and it was a phenomenal success and continues to be. So we want to build on that as well in this year. So, you know, it's, um, we just, you know, driving that forward. You know, I say we saw some great uh, success in 2017. The way we see people use the platform is just phenomenal. The UK as well in particular, they've really embraced, you know, if you look at ComScore numbers, you got 28 million users or so, you know, they really embrace Twitter. And they're very funny. Our users, and the way that publishers use Twitter is phenomenal. The way that we've got relationships with the likes of Sky, ITV, you know, and actually the partnership thing is a big thing. You know, we would love to work closer with the likes of you. And what can we do, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, because we'll probably touch upon this later, to intertwine cinema on Twitter because movies is one of the biggest interests, interest groups on um, on Twitter. Um, we'll, we'll come on to that mm-hmm. in a
0: second, but one of the big changes over the last year was the increase to 280 characters. Yeah. What has that brought to Twitter and how has that changed the user experience? Well, I mean, do you, you use Twitter? I probably, do. I uh, recently crossed 10,000 tweets. I wow.
1: Okay. Um, so you tell me, you're a consumer, how has it changed your experience? I
0: think conversation has become more nuanced which is a good thing um, obviously 140 characters uh, doesn't relate itself that well to nuanced conversation and people getting into subjects uh, more deeply and I think one of the issues I found with Twitter in the past was important conversations. It's a great platform to do in, to discuss important conversations because it's instant and a lot of people are able to contribute but it didn't really lead to great discussion and it led to kind of perhaps people being flippant or um, uh, uh, not really engaging properly and I think that the 280 characters, I mean I read a really good thread today on Twitter by Hugo Rifkind which went into something in huge detail uh, that I hadn't really um, engaged with that much. And I think it had, in 140 characters, it probably wouldn't have done it justice. I won't go into detail what it is because mm-hmm. it's not re- really relevant for today. But I think the increased 100, 208 characters have really enabled that. And from a personal v- view as well, film synopsis can be mm. longer, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. which is always useful.
1: Yeah. So I think for us, look, we, we, we ground our product decisions in data. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, one of the things I tried to say earlier, what was one of our objectives is to make the product easier. And I think that we found, I know that we found that a lot in when using the English language or the Western alphabet, a lot of tweets were abandoned before the send, you know, the tweet button was pressed because they'd go over 140 and it was difficult to edit down. You know, I think over 10% uh, of tweets that was happening to, which is, you know, with 500 million odd tweets a day, that's significant. And we thought if we experimented with taking it to 280 you know again the data would show that those tweets wouldn't be abandoned or a huge huge percentage of them wouldn't be so we just wanted to make it easier and look as I say our users are very passionate so when you introduce new things people are horrified or worried but by and large I say if you ground stuff in data rather than whimsy you know um, I think by and large people have been really happy and we saw that before with what we called filtered or ranked timelines, where we try to see it's chronological Twitter, but you go on Twitter multiple times a day usually, rather than on it for a block. So if you tweet some gold out, which it's great engagement, but I'm in a meeting and I miss it, and I log on two hours later, I'm I've I've lost you know Tom's gold. I've you know it, happens, ho- a lot. it happens exactly a lot that data. you know. Uh, or, or hugo rifkind or whatever so you know miss all of this out whereas now you get your know, while you're away or in you know you're kind of like in case you missed it you have a few of those top performing tweets at the top so you don't miss um that and that has led to um greater engagement greater time on the platform per user per day user user growth um so it's a, again so what we're seeing with 280 is still relatively early in terms of it on your launch but I think most people echo um, what you say and I think at the, the Ferrari that sometimes we saw at the beginning or concern, let's say, has kind of ebbed away suddenly.
0: People just fear change, don't they? And then when they're comfortable on something, someone changes something slightly. The initial reaction is kind of like, "What? Well, step back a bit." Go, whoa, no."
1: That's it. And look, you're still you're still very welcome to tweet under 140 yeah. characters. No <laughs> one's stopping you. So you know, and please do if you like. I you know. think I've only crossed
0: the limit three times. Okay, factual um, counting but it, for but someone it's, over 10,000 tweets. Is but good. it's um, that's a goal for 2018. Use use 208 characters better. Now, uh, Twitter recently ran an ad on cinema mm-hmm. that features the very funny comedian Ramesh Ranganathan. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you may have seen it if you went to see Star Wars: The Last Jedi.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what was the thinking behind the ad? What was the thinking behind the ad? Well, look, it's no, uh, we wanted to make impact on cinema, but I think um, if you see the ad, I mean, it, it, it's relatively difficult to explain without seeing the ad, but it's it's around connecting you to your interests. You know, it's what's happening. So Twitter is what's happening in the world. But, you know, as I say, if there are a huge amount of tweets a day, you can connect yourself to whatever interest there is in the world. That could be football, that could be music, that could be movies. But they're huge, they're obvious. But that could also be crochet. That could be, you know, um, uh, whatever your profession is. You know, an example of this is a few years ago, um, nurses, you know, who are, saints in my opinion you know underpaid work all hours God sends and um, they would go on Twitter and they would talk about their jobs and policy and various other things and it became so popular they said they kind of decided to have specific times to do it and just use the hashtag we nurses right and it was so powerful that the ministry health and stuff would look at it to formulate policy and look you know and it's so it can be very very specific niche relate to work can be very very broad and the thinking behind the ad is you know romesh played a character the twitter character whereas he will help you connect with those people he'll make it easy to find people for you to follow people for you to speak to there's no reason to be scared have fun enjoy it connect to people you like connect to people you love
0: and why did you choose to run it on cinema
1: why did we choose to run it on cinema well look, i think we had uh, the timing—it was coming out over the Christmas period. Um, uh, as you say, the Last Jedi is out. That's one of the biggest media propositions. It's, um, I think, long treatments as well, I'm known to work well in cinema, and it's a massive screen. It, you know, looks very impressive. And you know, hopefully, moving forward, we're going to diversify and use uh, different platforms. You know, we've used outdoor, digital outdoor. Um, we've used digital video. Uh, We've in the States used telly um, and, you know, we're, we're quite young as a marketing, you know, company um, and, you know, hopefully we're going to build on that. And
0: you mentioned it earlier, film is a big driver of conversation Mm -hmm. on Twitter and in society, but particularly on Twitter. Uh, Do you do your own analysis on film trends or which films are the most talked about? Uh, How important is film to Twitter?
1: Look. I think that in many ways, if you view Twitter as an interest network, you know, so the way you can connect with your interests is the shortest distance between you and what you're most interested in, right? So whether that's film, um, sport music, whatever. And film's one of those key interests. You know, gaming is another big one, telly, sport music, as I've mentioned. And I think, you know, it's worth saying that, you know, there's a tweet in the UK, there's a tweet every second about film, you know, um which is huge, you know, so there 's you know thirty one million odd tweets a year about films in the u k and so yes we it's very important to us. we work very closely with all the key movie houses um on their slates slates um uh, and what they can do well throughout the year and it's just you know huge, you know the kind of conversation you'd get so last year i the most tweeted about movies were um Star Wars, Last Jedi, La La Land's up there, It's up there, Beauty and the Beast's up there. So it's a, a real broad range real broad, of things. So it's as well. not just one, it's not just two, you know, everything's talked about. I think that's the thing about film. It's such a powerful um, interest in terms of very few people you'd ask, you know, are you interested in film? They'd say, no, I don't like films. Very few people. So, you might like specific kinds of film. And that's what we see on Twitter. A lot of things are talked about. You know, um, I say the most tweeted about genres, the top 10 is everything from sci fi, fantasy, Bollywood, drama, hol- you know, romance, independent, animation, could be any of them. So, all of the genres are essentially tweeted about.
0: And we're currently in award season yeah. uh, the baftas take place in a few weeks and then an Osc- the oscars a couple of weeks after that it's one of the most exciting times to be a film fan do you see a spike in discussions about film
1: during this period um we see we see a spike in discussion about films in so much as how they relate to the awards right so if la la land is up for an oscar then, of course, we'll see a spike in the discussion about La La Land, but around the Oscars specifically. So, but, the, but the noise, the tweets are going on throughout the year. And we have the same thing in music. So music's talked about throughout the year when Glastonbury's on. Obviously, there's a bit of a spike. So we have temp polls throughout the year, and of course, award season, whether it's BAFTAs in the UK, Oscars, Golden Globes, Emmys, whatever. There's always discussion, but often, you know, the anticipation is a huge thing. You know, so when film buffs waiting for a trailer, and we were just touching upon Han Solo, you know, for the film fans on Twitter, they love that element as well.
0: Is the Ellen DeGeneres Oscar picture still the most retweeted tweet ever?
1: Uh, did the Carter, I should get this. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Nogs. Yeah, Nog- yeah, yeah. The chicken yeah. So that was one. the, yeah. So that Imagine was huge. Imagine being beaten by Chicken nuggets. I know. And the campaign that she tried to jokingly stop, which was fun. But as you can see, films like absolutely huge. And anything around it um, is huge. And I'm looking at the list of films that were, you know, the top 10. You know, I was a bit gutted because I'm a massive Paddington 2 fan. You know, I'm shocked. That have that you, you've seen Paddington two twice at the cinema?
0: Yes. Oh wow. Uh, we'll come on to the films you uh, uh, have enjoyed recently and what you're looking forward to in a, in a short time. But th- at the moment, there is a very prominent hashtag on Twitter that has gone far wider than Twitter, which is hashtag Me Too, which uh, is a prominent movement, and it was led by Twitter. How does that feel when prominent social change is instigated? Uh, or is supported by twitter how do you guys get involved what's your relationship to that
1: now we're a platform we don't we don't make content but we enable you know these hashtags are spread because people are talking about it and the whole thing about the hashtag and actually last year was the 10th birthday of the hashtag and what happened was there was a chap um, i think his name is chris messina and he he's on Twitter and he, he I think his bio says I invented the hashtag, or, but he was at a tech conference. Quite a, you know, I think it's relatively famous, But and he said, I'm at, I can't remember what it's called, hashtag whatever, is anyone else there? And people—it's just people started using that. So it's a way of organizing conversation. So yes, it, there's an element of it that became jokey. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've probably seen hashtags on Twitter where someone would say, you know, Someone just offered me snails for lunch, hashtag no thanks. Now, no one's. You've been reading my Twitter feed. <laughs> haven't you? No one's, you know, trying to. I don't suppose anyone is trying to see for all references of no thanks. It's just a bit of humor. But the reason it has scaled and become a thing is exactly that Me Too example, where people want to share something with people, other people that they don't necessarily know, that don't necessarily follow them. So how else would you see it? So, but, And then other people would come on and say, well, I wanna see who's talking about me too, you know? Which is a very, as you say, it's potentially the biggest thing in the world, the biggest subject of conversation in the world at the moment, and hugely, hugely relevant. So I suppose we provide the platform, but the the strength of the hashtag and conversation, and news story provides that scale. Um, but you know it's amazing and again, a real privilege to work at a company that's enabling this globally that's giving everyone a voice and it's via whether it's via hashtags or you know one of the most heartbreaking things that we saw was there's a there's a a young girl from Syria called Banna Abed. And when Aleppo was just being destroyed um a year or so ago, her and her mother set up a twitter account um They lived in Aleppo, and they would tweet photos of the bombings videos she would talk about her friends who had died i mean she was seven or eight at the time, and it captured the world's you know like public's imagination it was on all the is in all the key newspapers, all news stories. And, you know, when I say it's heartbreaking is it looked like, you know, that she would say the building behind me has just been destroyed and it looked like that, you know, it was going to be a very tragic end. Fortunately, her and her, you know, she, her and her mother were saved, but suddenly this young girl had a voice. Eighteen months previously, you know, it's all mobile technology. You wouldn't have necessarily, that wouldn't have been possible. So to be able to be part of that and meaningful hashtags... Um, is you know it's it's remarkably Im- impactful but you know it could be anything again going back to um, if you want to know what people are talking about across films again using that hashtag is again really really strong but yeah you're right the me too thing has just scaled and scaled and it's been in- so so eye-opening and alarming
0: We'll go back to Paddington too. Slightly lighter topic of conversation. Yes. Uh, you've seen it twice. Yes. I take it you're a big fan then. Yeah. Um, is it better than the first one?
1: Listen, you know, I could talk all day. I, t- I could and have talked <laughs> uh, all day about these things. So I think that, um, yeah, the first one was great. Like, I think, to just give you a mild bit of background, I'm a huge film fan. And when I was younger, single, pre-kids, I would go to the cinema all the time. I think having children has negatively affected that, and I will always hold that against them. <laughs> um, and I think that so my cinema consumption tends to be very, very family movie oriented. Now the good news is, a lot of family movies are just brilliant, you know. So, but you go there with this slight sense of you know. Oh,
0: there's I want to be watching th-
1: John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wanted to watch something else. Um, and actually, um, so when I saw the first Paddington, um, I thought, wow, it's an amazing film, great production, brilliant story, etc." So when you see the second one, you never think it's going to have the... The, the sequel's never typically as good. And I just thought it was wonderful. I just thought it was wonderfully made, great production, so heartwarming, not afraid to say I cried twice. And... Um, I, I thought
0: Paddington was going to die when he was drowning. Right. Oh, I was yeah, like, I, mean, I couldn't uh, deal I with it. I couldn't deal with it.
1: Uh, yeah, um, you know, I think that... Um, yeah, it was just... It, it, and my family loved it. And, you know, and actually I've got to say, it was the talk of our office. you know. So we've got a lot of people with families, but people who just wanted to see the film, and they went. And it's funny, I was speaking to a colleague of mine, David Wilding, who's a big uh, Paddington and film fan, and he said he was in a meeting that week on the Monday talking about a big customer brief with a strategy director from a client. And they were talking about the brief, and suddenly the guy said, have you seen Paddington at all? Paddington is such an amazing film. And like, it really felt like, you know, I bang on about it and people think I'm relatively mentally frail um, because that's all I talk about. But yeah,
0: it was great. I, Uh, was walking down the street in Finsbury Park and I heard two people talking about Paddington and I stopped them and said, are you talking about Paddington? (laughs) And we we, we bonded for about five seconds. It was the friendliest Finsbury Park has been in a long while.
1: That's it. And you know what I think resonated to me, again, sorry for banging on about it, but this bear is a hero of mine, is that with everything going on in the world, the two key messages are, if you're polite, courteous and nice to people, they will want to help you. And... You know, I'm not gonna give any spoilers away for those of you that haven't seen it, but for those of you that haven't, you haven't got a soul. You know, so he always sees the good in people, regardless of what and for if you as a, as a lesson for life and, and if you have children it's just, that's magnificent. Yeah.
0: And apologies, I, Paddington doesn't die in Paddington 2, but there's a bit where he's in, in trouble and I was genuinely, yeah, tra- yeah. I was traumatised. Yeah, no, right. what other films have you seen recently that you enjoyed? Yes,
1: yeah, so I saw uh, Last Jedi. I, I've got to say, um, so uh, growing up as a big Star Wars fan, and then I had a, a lovely moment a few years ago with my daughter whereby um, we went to see Peanuts uh, with the whole family. And I was in a, in a cinema Again, you know, I'm about to go and see a cartoon. I've got my extended family. Every everyone's going. There are about 15 of us, and I kind of like they're all sorting out popcorn. And I saw a poster for the for Force Awakens, and I kind of wistfully kind of like looked at it, thinking, you know, I'll never see this <laughs> apart from you know. Um, uh, and my my older daughter, my old you know, came up to me and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, I'm looking at that, you know, just looking at a poster. Just looking because wistfully. I, uh, yeah, because <laughs> that's the closest I'm going to get to the film. I mean, I didn't say that, but I thought that. And she just said, well, I'll come with you to see it. And um, so we went that Christmas and we went to see that. So every year it's become a bit of a tradition. So we saw that and then we saw Rogue One. We always go in between Christmas and New Year. And then we saw Last Jedi. And actually, for me, this is the one thing about film Um that I really love, and this is why I was really pleased and um, grateful that you asked me to be on this podcast, that actually the experience of going to cinema like with my daughter is more than just watching a film. It's You're doing, you know, it's quality time. And for her, it's a great thing because it's what we do. And for me, it's a great thing because it's what we do, right? So for us, you know, when I came in, I asked you straight away about Han Solo because I'm thinking, right, I want to see it with her and I want to, you know, so um, yes, so I, I saw that. That was really good. I saw Get Out. I loved Get Out. Amazing film. Before Paddington 2, that was my favourite film of the year.
0: And you actually mentioned just now that uh, um, that going to see Star Wars with your daughter, I mean, I'm 38 and I take my dad to see Star Wars over the last three years between Christmas and New Year, or Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. we've been to see Star Wars and it's just, and it's it's a really great thing and I love doing it and it, I'm slightly sad that we're not going to be able to see Star Wars at, at Christmas this year because Solo A mm. Star Wars Story is out in May. Yeah. I just touched on
1: it. I'm a bit, uh, you know what, when you said it was May, I was a bit gutted actually because it was this, it's this little Christmas tradition that we have in between Christmas and New Year and you know, to be fair, the time in between Christmas and New Year is a little bit dead I suppose so it's something to do but it, yeah, it, you know, when you mentioned going with your dad, I have friends that do that as well. Um, they take their parents and It's lovely. So it's something that, um, yeah, I just really enjoy doing, you know, as an experience. I suppose when I was younger, I might go with mates, but it's that's because I wanted to see the film. Yeah. You know, if it was I substituted one mate for another mate, it was it it kind of it was what it was, unless, you know, we specifically liked, you know, Terminator or you know whatever. But yeah, so I think now I think as the kids get a bit older, I want to try to go to the cinema more often. And what films are you looking forward to? Well, you know, um, I know this year there's the like of Jurassic World, there's the likes of, you know, Ocean's 8, Han Solo, as I say, I'm a kind of like a um, uh, a sucker for that kind of thing. Han
0: Solo, well, Solo, a Star Wars story, yeah. Jurassic World and Ocean's 8. Are all out in a in a four week period. We've right, got a huge summer. You better book some days off in May, June. Okay, because will do. Out, <laughs> uh, they're all out together in Q two, and we've got on a massive Q two this year because a few weeks before that we've got Deadpool two, and then a couple of weeks before that we've got Avengers Infinity War.
1: So actually, so that's an, the thing for me is that last year, I, a lot of the films I end up seeing, I'm not because as I say, I haven't been as into it or as because for me to. You know, look up what's coming up. It's just me trying, is depressing myself. So, I'll look, this is something else I won't see. Um So, um but I'm trying, so Get Out For Me, I didn't really know about until it came out, read the reviews. So actually people went bonkers on Twitter about it. They loved it. So I saw that and I absolutely, lo- I think that was an incredible film. I
0: would love to see it win Best Picture at the Oscars. You, you
1: know what? Yeah, when it was talked about, like, this is a film about race and stuff like that, I thought, okay, and I went and luckily I didn't have any spoilers, so I had no idea what the premise was, apart from there were people from kind of different backgrounds um, and ethnicity going out with one another. That's all I knew. And I was just blown away with that film. And actually... Uh, so I saw Baby Driver as well. I quite like Edgar Wright, you see. So he's very good on Twitter, by the way. So um, I saw Baby Driver, which I like. I'm quite a sucker for, like, a car chase. So that opening car chase was amazing. Um, but I have to say, I've got to admit, not the cinema. I was on a flight and Deadpool was on there. And I watched Deadpool. And I thought that was a magnificent, like, uh, anti-hero, funny superhero, hard to describe way. So I'll, I'll def- I'll def- I didn't even know that was this year. So Yeah, that's May 16th. Right. So you've
0: got... Avengers, April 27th, Deadpool, May 16th, Solo, May 25th. Wow, massive May. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, June 7th.
1: I'd love to see what your targets are for May.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk good, about very, very p- good luck yeah, with them. Punchy. punchy, we'll say punchy. Uh, but good luck,
1: know. Davina and Karen and team. Yes, yeah.
0: exactly. Uh, don't expect us to go to any social occasions across <laughs> uh, April, May. But um, this is comfortably the longest podcast I've done in quite some time, and uh, I could Apologies. talk to you for <laughs> talk to you for yeah. quite some time. But we should probably wrap up shortly. So mm. you mentioned earlier that you think there's a lot that cinema and Twitter could be doing together more or differently. What do you think
1: we could do differently or better? Um, well, talk more to kick off. So, you know, I've spoken to Karen about this and stuff and Zoe. And it's, um, as I say, you know, film is a passion of people. Now, they can either be passionate film buffs whereby they go to cinema every week and have one of those season tickets, or they could be huge James Bond fans, but they have to watch it at the cinema. So it could be, you know, it, it, as I say, everyone loves film. And Twitter is a platform where passions come alive, and people discuss their passions and people share stuff about their passions. And I think that um, we discussed this briefly with Karen, whereby what could we do to help one another? And it's some, I, so I don't know what the answer is, but I know there's a lot we can do. We have a lot of data, um, and you and you guys know what's kind of what's coming up and what's worked in the past. So you know, maybe we could just discuss how that would marry how that data and the knowledge that you have and the intuition you have would marry to make a kind of beautiful pairing. Um, so yeah, definitely up for pursuing that.
0: And my final question is can i get verified no i'm joking um thank you so much for joining me Dara. it's been a real pleasure and um hopefully paddington three won't be too far away uh uh, i'll be back next month don't forget to subscribe to the podcast via itunes you can write a review as well if you want go crazy five stars and um thanks for listening bye